Praise the Lord. It's such a joy to see you, Brother Glenn. Thank you for the opportunity to come. Uh, this is such a wonderful conference, and uh, it's a, always been a blessing to my life. I got to slip in and hear Brother Kevin. I, I miss Brother Ron, and I love to hear preaching, don't you? Uh, didn't he bless your heart today? Amen. I, I, uh, I, of course, Brother Kevin, I'm intimidated around preachers. I, you know, when a, there's a bunch of preachers that have preached, um, you're always nervous, of course, every true preacher tell you they're always nervous. Isn't that the truth? I heard about the young boy that um, was pastoring his first church, and he was doing his very first wedding, and he was nervous. He was just about out of his mind. He was so nervous. And uh, it's going to be one of those big, formal, lavish affairs, and he was so nervous. But he decided to take the edge off. He'd quote a verse of Scripture, and he decided to quote a verse about love. So he got his concordance out, and he found 1 John 4.18. It says, perfect love cast out fear. He thought, well, that'll do it. And the day of the wedding came, and the candles were lit, the flowers were in place, and everybody was all dignified, and about 500 people there, and all of a sudden, the bride and the groom were before him. It was time to start the wedding. And he was going to start with that scripture, 1 John 4, 18, perfect love, cast out fear, but he was so nervous, his hands were shaking, and his finger was over the one in 1 John. So instead of 1 John 4, 18, he read John 4, 18, which is the story of the Samaritan woman. And he looked at the bride and said, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not even your husband. That old boy broke up the service, didn't he? But, but uh, it's, sometimes it's nervous around preachers. I, I don't know why I'm doing this. This um, God's just uh, got a hold of my heart about this. Brother Kevin just preached about the faithfulness of God. And I want to preach a message I really uh, had no intention of preaching. I just really believe somebody needs this this morning. I, I, I want to preach about trouble. And uh, not a typical Bible conference message, but I want to obey the Lord. And I want to preach on this subject, when trouble knocks at your door. When trouble knocks at your door. And I want you to go to that great passage in 2 Kings chapter 4. You're familiar with the great miracle of the prophet Elisha, 2 Kings 4. And this goes so well with what my brother just preached. I just believe this is what God wants to preach this morning. 2 Kings chapter 4. Can I invite you to stand for the reading of the Word of God? Everybody standing. 2 Kings 4. You know this story, but I'm going to read the first seven verses. This great passage. 2 Kings 4.1. The Bible says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There's not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. And she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt. And live thou and thy children of the rest. What a great miracle, the Word of God. I'm preaching on this subject when trouble knocks at your door. Thank God for the reading of his inerrant book. Please be seated and pray with me.
Father, I'm grateful for this wonderful conference and I'm thankful for the great preaching and the opening of the Word of God that has taken place this weekend. God, I thank you now for the, the music, the praising, the singing. But now, God, I ask for your divine touch. God, I ask for that which I cannot work up or manufacture. I cannot perform it. God, I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. So, Father, would you loose me and let me go? And I come against my enemy, every devil and demon spirit. And God, we just confess out loud to any devil that can hear us that Jesus Christ is Lord. God, would you do the preaching right now and I'll praise you. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Job 14, 1 says, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. I still love that great old story of the daddy that walked by his 15-year-old son's bedroom one day, looked inside, about had a heart attack. The bed was completely made. No clothes were on the floor. The room was spick and span. The daddy got excited, but then he looked and saw an envelope leaning up against a pillar, walked over and picked it up, and it said, Dear Dad, I'm so sorry. With trembling hands, he opened it up, and it was from his son, Cody. And the letter said this. It said, Dear Dad... It's with great sorrow I write to you. I couldn't have a confrontation with you and mom. I'm brokenhearted, but I've decided to elope with my 20-year-old girlfriend. Her name is Cindy. Dad, I knew you wouldn't approve. She's not your kind of girl. She's got tattoos all over her body. She looks like a road map. And Dad, she's got piercings all over her face. And Dad, I knew you wouldn't approve, but Dad, I'm going to marry Cindy. Dad, she's a member of a cult, and she goes outside and howls at the moon with her tribe when it's full. And Dad, I know she's not your kind of girl, but i got to marry her, Dad, because it's the right thing to do. She's pregnant, and I'm the dad, and I'm going to marry her. Dad, don't worry. We're going to live at her trailer out in the woods where Cindy grows and sells marijuana so somehow we'll make a living but dad would you just pray that medical science come up with a cure for AIDS because Cindy has it dad I'll never see you again love Cody then at the bottom he put PS dear dad none of the above is true God it's uh, dad it's all a lie please pray that you'll forgive me I just wanted you to know that I'm hanging out at Tommy's house also want you to know there's worse news than the report card you'll find underneath my pillow. Please call me when it's safe to come home. Your loving son, Cody. Now, son, I'm going to tell you, Cody was in trouble, wasn't he? Now, I don't know where you are today, but I promise you this, and you already know it. If you're not in trouble, trouble's coming soon. Because I want you to know before you know it, trouble drives down your street parks outside your driveway, walks on your porch, and knocks on your door. Trouble knocks on our door. That's exactly what happened to a woman in the Old Testament. You talk about a lady in a heap of trouble. I mean, what a story. The Bible said this woman was a young widow, and her husband, the young preacher, had died. Now the Bible said she's trying to raise two boys without any job, without any food, without any income. And the Bible tells us now, what's worse, the creditors are coming to take her sons to be slaves. She's not only going to lose her house, she's going to lose her whole family and she just buried her husband. And the Word of God picks up the story when she goes to the man of God, Elisha, for a counseling session. And look what the man of God says to her in verse 2. Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Now that Hebrew word pot means a flask or a jar. 
One little old pot of oil. That's all the woman had in the house. And you know, preacher, I've thought about this. Why has God put this story in the Word of God? What is it relevant to us today in the 21st century? And of course, everything's in the perfect Word of God for a reason. And there's no doubt to me why this story's in the Word of God. My brother's already said it when he preached just before me this morning. I believe it's there to remind us that our God does make a way when there seems to be no way. Son, if you don't believe that, just ask Moses. God made a way when he turned the Red Sea into a sidewalk. If you don't believe that, just ask Samson. God made a way when he turned the jawbone of a donkey into a weapon of mass destruction. If you don't believe that, just ask David. God made a way when he turned a shepherd boy into a giant killer. If you don't believe that, just ask Daniel. God made a way when he turned a lion's den into a sleepover. If you don't believe that, just ask Andrew. God made a way when he turned one little basket of food into a buffet. And if you don't believe that, ask this widow woman. God made a way when he turned one little jar of oil into an oil well. I've come to tell you there's no burden too big for my God. There's no grief too great for my God. There's no problem too puzzling for my God. There's no storm too strong for my God. And there may be somebody here that's reached that place in your life where you just don't know what to do. I'll never forget I was in a Bible conference a number of years ago and one of my heroes, Dr. Ron Dunn, who's been in heaven for a while now. I remember uh, Dr. Dunn, I was in that Bible conference and, and it was a question and answer session. And somebody asked Dr. Dunn, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And that great man of God looked at her, the woman that asked the question. He said, well, ma'am, when you don't know what to do, you just do what you know to do. Boy, I've never forgotten that. Because there are some things we must do that God tells us to do. I, again, I'm pretty stunned I'm preaching this. And that's not some evangelist story. I had no intention. Preached it last week and I just believe God wants it preached today. Somebody needs this. When trouble knocks at your door, there's three things I believe we must do according to this Word of God story. Three things. Number one, when trouble knocks at your door, you need to trust in His promises. I'll say that again. Trust in His promises. For look at verse 1. The Bible said there cried a young woman, certain woman. The Bible said she cried. Now folks, unless you think I'm being too dramatic today, that word cried there literally means to shriek. It means to cry out loud. There is nothing soft about her cry. She's not dabbing tears from her eyes. She is shrieking. A cry of urgency. A cry of fervency. A cry of emergency. This woman's world's falling apart. I've got five little grandchildren. Four of them are girls. And they're all very young. And we've been doing something cool at our home, at the Coram Home, uh, to celebrate Christmas in recent years. We have Christmas the day after Christmas with our immediate family. My kids and grandkids, uh, they see their other in-laws and, and then they're able to have Christmas with their kids around the tree Christmas morning. They all head to our house Christmas night. And then the next day we have Christmas. The, the, the farthest away is about four and a half hours and the, one of them is about an hour. So they all gather at our house. Well, our little four-year-old's named Ansley. And here's what happened to Ansley. First of all, on Christmas morning at our house, she had the greatest Christmas. She got a Wonder Woman blanket and she got a Wonder Woman doll and, and she got a little scooter with all the Frozen characters on there. When, when are they going to quit making money on that, man? I mean, I, I'm about ready for them to let it go, aren't you? I mean, she got all that stuff. 
And she got all that stuff for Christmas. And then all of a sudden her world began to break down. Uh, the, the cousins were playing. And, and the cousins are marvelous. There's two girls on each, for, from each one of my daughters. And they only see each other three or four times a year. But boy, they're so adorable when they see each other. They run and jump and hug. And, but after about three hours, they're not kissing cousins no more, son. I mean, the tattling starts and the, and the anger starts. And here she comes. As he comes downstairs because her sister had pulled her necklace off of her and she was upset and, and her mother took care of that and sent her back to play. Then a little while later she came back downstairs because her and her one of her little cousins got a little competition and she lost and she's upset. Her mother took care of that and sent her upstairs to play. A little while later she scraped her knee and came down and upset. Then a little while later the other three uh, were not letting her play. She was the youngest. Not letting her play in a game and she was really upset. And then finally it bottomed out at the end of the day, she leaned back in her little chair. They were having a little tea party, and she hit her head, cracked it on the wall. Big old lump on the back. I mean, she just had a tough time. And that night, she crawled up in my lap. Never forget this. And I kissed her, and I leaned down and said, Baby girl, have you had a good day? And here's what that four-year-old said word for word. She looked up at me with them big dark eyes and said, This is the worst day of my life. That's what she said. Now, folks, I just kind of kissed her, but I didn't tell her the truth. It's going to get a lot worse. I could have told her, you on easy street now, honey. It's really going to get bad after this. I mean, one day you're going to have to raise a household and make a living and pay bills and, and all of that stuff. It's only going to get worse. The bottom falls out quicker than you can imagine. And the bottom fell out for this lady. Can I remind everybody in the building what you already know? But a lot of young Christians don't seem to understand sometimes. Some of us who have been in the faith a long time still don't get it. Salvation does not exempt us from trouble. Knowing Jesus does not mean problems are not going to come into your life. And this woman now has got problems. Now watch this. She needed to trust the promises of God for a couple of reasons. Number one, she was helpless. What a tragedy in one verse of scripture, verse one. There cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. And you students of the Bible know this. That phrase, sons of the prophets, automatically tells me he was in Bible college. So the Bible says he was a Bible student, a young Bible student, a young preacher in college. Sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, thy servant, my husband, is dead. Now knowest thy servant did fear the Lord. Now look at this statement. And the creditors now come, is, is come to take in them my two sons to be bondsmen. Now unless you don't know the passage, can I remind you how bad this is? She's already lost her husband. She's already had to bury her young preacher husband. And if you're in college now, you know this. Or if you've been in college, it's tight to pay the bills when you're in college. So they're up against a fixed income, no doubt. Now her husband's dead, and now she's flat broke. Nothing in the pantry, nothing in the house. There is no retirement plan. There is no safety net. And, and what's worse, now they're coming like wolves at the door. I mean, this woman goes to her mailbox, and all that there's conviction or eviction notices and unpaid bills. Her world's already falling apart, and now she's going to lose her boys. Because see, in Bible days... Children and families were used as collateral to pay loans. And when the loan couldn't be paid, they would just come and take the boys, especially the boys, to be slaves. And so now you think you're having a bad day. This, this lady's world has fallen apart. 
I mean, she's having about as bad a time as you can have. I could say it like this. Her world is a mess. Uh, Brother Ron, I was preaching a revival somewhere last year, and a woman comes up to my book table, and she had a book under her hand. And here's, here's how she started the conversation. She said, preacher, pray for me. My life's a mess. You got a book. And she wanted one of the books we've got on our table. She said, what book do you have you can recommend? And, and we've got a devotion book. And, and so I, I might recommend this book to you. She said, well, when my life's a mess, I always read a book. Now, I noticed she didn't have a Bible, but she had a book. And I'm not here to make fun, not put anybody down. But the book was Joel Osteen's book, Become a Better You. Now, folks, here's what that woman really said. She said, I've really never heard him preach. She said, I just bought this book because he's got such a nice smile. That's the truth. That's what that woman said to me. And she said, now, I've got Joel's book. I'd like a book by you. And I thought, you know, why in the world does she want a book by me? I don't have a smile like Joel. I don't have hair like Joel. My wife's prettier than Joel's wife. But other than that, I don't have anything in common with Joel like that. And then she said, now I've got one of his books. I want one of your books. And again, I noticed she didn't have a Bible. And so I said to her as nice as I could, I said, man, you don't need one of my books and you don't need one of Joel's books, but I've got a book I can recommend to you that you need right now. For I remind everybody that this is the promise book written by the promise keeper who is too perfect to be a promise breaker. Someone has said there's 3,000 promises in this book. Someone else has counted and said there's 7,000. Herbert Lockyer, the author, has said there's 8,000. And Brother Glenn, I don't know how many promises there are in this book, but I know it seems to be one on every page. But in case you don't have a minute, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you all 8,000, but I'm going to give you just a couple. Can I remind somebody the promises of God? Exodus 14, 14 promises the Lord will fight for you. Psalm 23, 4 promises, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Psalm 27, 1 promises the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the strength of my life of whom shall I be afraid Psalm 34 7 promises the angel of the Lord camps around those who fear him and will deliver them I just got a few more Psalm 50 verse 15 promises the Lord delivers me in a time of trouble Psalm 61 3 promises God is the strong tower over my enemy me, my personal favorite, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, promises, thy compassions, they fail not. Great is thy faithfulness. Isaiah 54, 17, promises, no weapon formed against me shall stand. Isaiah 40, 31, promises, but they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I just got a few more. John 14, 27 promises let not your heart be troubled I will never leave you Hebrews 13 5 promises I will never leave you or forsake you James 4 7 promises submit yourself therefore to God resist the devil and he'll flee from you can I remind you if you're in the dark today he is the light if you're in the corner he is the door if you're on sinking sand he's the rock of ages if you're insufficient he's sufficient if you're hungry 
hungry, he's the bread of life. If you're thirsty, he's the water that satisfies. If you're tied up in knots, he's the one that sets you free. If you're holding on to the end of the rope, he's the one holding the rope. When you're in pain, he's the pain taker. When you need a way, he's the way maker. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to resign. He's not going to be in peace. He's the Lord God Almighty, and he is on the throne today. My God's on the throne. You can trust in his promises. This woman was helpless. I'm not finished. You can trust in his promises not only when you're helpless, you trust in his promises when it's hopeless. Oh, boys, look, look what it says in verse 2. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, thine handmaid, I like this, hath not anything in the house but a pot of oil, a little flask of oil. That's all the woman had in the house. That was it. The man of God asked two questions, folks. He said, what do you have? What do you need? I can answer those two questions. She had nothing. She needed everything. But can I tell you the truth? This, this, this is what amazes me, preachers. Everything she had, she, everything she needed, she already had. I'm going to say that one more time. Everything she needed, she already had. Brother Kevin, I've been a traveling evangelist 30 years. I'm in my 30th year. It's been, what a, what a journey. What a wonderful journey. But I remember that first year. Had some revival meetings when I stepped out in evangelism in 1988. In the fall of that year, left a church in Florida bigger than I deserved a pastor. Paid me more money than I was worth. Left that to go into evangelism with just two little girls. Didn't even have a son then. Went into evangelism. Those first few months were okay. Had revivals, but then January hit. And I had one meeting or one engagement in January. Wasn't even a revival. Didn't have anything else till March. I mean, we had used all our savings. All that stuff had run out. Well, I remember that January. I, I remember preacher driving 500 miles to preach one sermon. And then I had one other event in the middle of January, and I had nothing else till March to pay the bills. And I was invited to preach about four hours from my home. Never forget this. Drove down that four hours, and we at ministry had no gas cards then. We had no credit cards, no nothing. And I remember all the cash that I had in my wallet I used for gas. I drove down to this church, used that, filled up my tank to drive back home to Jacksonville, Florida. That's all I had. I mean, that was it. We didn't even have a cell phone. How did we function? I mean, we didn't have a cell phone, man. And so I used that cash, filled up my car. When I got there to preach that day, please don't anybody misunderstand this. They said in the put down, I was just pulpit supply. Preacher wasn't even there. I was just there to fill in. Now, folks, if you don't know me, you're going to misinterpret this statement. That means no love offering. That means a lot of love, no offering. That's what it means right there. So I preached. I, I was so mad. I was so upset. Somebody met me at the door and handed me, a, you know, a little honorarium check. And it was a little honorarium check. And I'm griping and grumbling. And this elderly woman walks out my door, one of the last people, had a red envelope, said, Brother, Brother Rick, said, Brother Rick, I have the ministry of encouragement. I want to encourage you. And she gave me that. Again, don't misunderstand this statement, but here's what I thought. I'm already in the flesh. And don't look at me like you never get there. I'm already in the flesh. And I thought, I just got a lousy little honorarium and a lousy encouragement card. That's what I thought. And then to top it all off, I'm standing there and everybody left and nobody fed me lunch. <laughs> Folks, I've driven all the way from Jacksonville. I'm hungry. I preached. Nobody's going to get me lunch. And I got no money. It's the truth. I got in my car to drive those four hours home. I was mad as a hornet. 
I'm driving and I'm, I'm believing, Pastor, I made a mistake. I should never go on in evangelism. I'm griping and grumbling through that lousy honorarium check and that lousy encouragement card on the seat. And I'm hungry because I've been preaching. I preached hard. I passed by Burger King and I longed to dine with the king, but I, I could not. <laughs> I passed McDonald's. I even wanted to eat with a clown that day, but I could not. I had no money. And the only reason I didn't call my sweet wife and grab to her is because I didn't have a cell phone. And I got home and I grumbled to her something about we've made a mistake. We should have never done this. Wonder if that church will take me back. I really made that statement to her. And I put that lousy encouragement card on the dresser and that lousy envelope of the honorarium. And I didn't even open the card until the next day. And oh, well, I'll at least have the decency to read it before I throw it out. I'm in the flesh still. And I tore that envelope open and that woman had a sweet word of encouragement and $25 cash in that envelope. The one that was by me in the car the whole stinking trip home. It's laying on the seat and all I'm doing is griping and grumbling because brother Kevin, my God has failed me. I've stepped out into full-time evangelism and oh God, where are you? And the whole time I griped about it, I had everything I need. My need was already met and I didn't even know it because sometimes what we think is our trash, our God uses as treasure. Sometimes what we think is nothing, my God uses as everything. And everybody knows what I'm going to say. You preachers have preached from this passage, and boy, it'll set you free. The Bible said all she had was a pot of oil, but you already know this. That wasn't just oil, boys. That was holy oil. That wasn't ordinary oil. Oh, come on, son. Some scholars believe that her husband even used it to anoint people into the ministry. Because why else would a young preacher have oil like that? I don't know whether or not that's true, but I know this. When I think about the Word of God, I'm a blood-bought child of God. You know what that means? That means I've got an oil well inside of me right now. You know what Jesus said? Oh, come on, John 7, 37 through 39. He that believes in me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And the Bible said, this spake he of the Spirit who had not come yet, but would come to those who believe. I believe. I've received the Holy Ghost. We're trying to say, preacher, I'm trying to say, you don't have one need in your life. Right now, the Holy Ghost cannot meet. And some of you are in war with your teenager today and you're losing the war, but you've got an oil well inside of you. There's some of you here today that woke up this morning and your mate may be in heaven and you go home and live in an empty house, but I'm telling you, you've got an oil well inside of you. There's some of you here that wake up every day in a body racked with pain, but you've got an oil well inside of you. Some of you here don't know how you're going to make ends meet, but you've got an oil well inside of you. We're told Martin Luther, the great preacher, was given to bouts of great depression. Sometimes he'd just stare at the wall in his study and wouldn't do anything. He was just frozen with depression. One day he got that way, that great man of God, and his sweet wife walked over to his study and she had a long black dress on with a black veil, sat down in front of him. He said, woman, what are you doing? She said, I'm in mourning. He said, who are you mourning for? She said, I'm mourning for God. God's dead. Martin Luther got up and hit his hand on the desk and said, woman, don't ever come in here and talk to me like that. My God's not dead. His wife stood up and said, well, if your God's not dead, live like it. I've come to tell you, you can trust his promises. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Not finished. When trouble knocks at your door, you can trust in his promises. Number two, and boy, I need this one. Maybe that's, that's why I'm preaching this. Maybe I need this morning back in the house. Number two, you not only trust in his promises, but you turn to his presence. For look what it says in verse three. 
Then he said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. Empty, y'all, means worthless. The Hebrew word there means worthless. Now, I want everybody to get a mental picture. You ever thought about this story? The man of God says, I want you to go all over the neighborhood, and I want you to borrow empty pots and vessels. Are you kidding me? I want you to go door to door, and I want you to get as many as you can carry. Don't just get a few. Get a bunch of them. Can you imagine this woman? They thought she was the loony tune of the neighborhood. I mean, she's already flat, broken, busted. She goes to a door, knocks on a door. Can I help you? Yeah, I'd like an empty pot. What you want in it? Nothing. What you going to do with it? I don't know. If they'd had phones in those days, they're calling that loony tune coming down the street, that nut. All she wants is an empty pot. She's off her rocker. She's lost it, man. She didn't want a cup of sugar. She didn't want a sack of flour. She didn't want a pail of water. She wanted empty. And everybody knows what I'm going to preach now, but I'm going to go ahead and preach it anyway. Everybody already knows this. She wanted empty. The man of God said empty, and you know what I'm about to say. Why? Why empty? Because my God specializes in filling empty things, son. That's why it's empty. Oh, come on. It was my God that stood at the beginning of creation and spoke to an empty sky and filled it with planets and suns and stars and moons. It was my God that looked over a creation without form and void, the Bible says, and he spoke to it in Genesis and trees and valleys and mountains and grass appeared. It is my God that spoke to the empty sea and it began to fill with fish. It was Jesus that spoke to water pots filled with nothing but water and they bu- it bubbled in his presence and turned to wine. It is because my God specializes in filling empty things. Now, you better hear what I'm fixing to say. I'm fixing to say this. The reason some Christians don't have more miracles is because they're not empty enough. And that's the whole key to revival. Revival does not come until we empty ourselves of sin and of self and of substitutes. That's the only time revival is going to come. We're not empty enough. We're too full of ourselves. We're too full of our own way. The Bible said empty. Now, now, now this is, I need this because this is, this is more than a Bible conference. When we come together like this, it ought to be about personal revival. Something, something besides hearing preaching and doing a bunch of shouting this weekend. It ought to, when we leave here, there ought to be something that impacts not only us, but our churches because something's happened in our life. So somebody needs this now. And I've already told you, I didn't, I didn't want to preach this. But I want to get real personal now because I'm going to get personal with me. I want you to understand turning to the presence of the Lord. Turning to his presence. Watch what happens. Please don't miss this. The Bible said turning to the presence, she's obedient. First of all, she is intimately obedient. Boy, that's so good. For the man of God tells her to do three things. Verse 4. When thou art come in, shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons. And thou shalt pour out unto all of the vessels. And thou shalt set aside that which is full. Man of God told her to do three things. Go inside, shut the door, pour into the vessels, set aside the full vessels. And then in verse 5 he says, so she went from him and shut the door. Boy, somebody needs this now besides me. You understand? You do know what that's a picture of. She closed out all the distractions. She shut the door. That phrase literally means to close in. Don't you understand? That's why we have revivals. I'm not saying this because I'm a vocational evangelist or Ron's a vocational evangelist or any other vocational evangelist so we'll have dates to preach. But I'm telling you, God still honors revivals. We still need revivals. I get weary of people telling me that revivals don't work. 
I preacher, I was at a church, a Bible conference one time, and a man walked up to me after the Bible conference, pastor of a big church. He said, Brother Rick, I appreciate the message, but we don't have revivals anymore because revivals cost too much. I'll never forget it. I don't know what he was talking about. It cost to turn on the lights, cost to unlock the building, cost to fly in an evangelist or drive him in or whatever, cost to give honorariums or love offerings. But everybody knows what I'm going to say when that man walked away from me thinking about the condition of my nation and the churches in my nation. I thought, God, we better quit asking what it cost us to have revival. We better start asking what it's going to cost us if we don't have revival. Shut the door. That's why revivals work. That's why Brother Glenn, the Bible conference works to shut the door, to get aside and alone for a few days, to turn off all the other stuff. That's why student camps work. That's why marriage retreats work. That's why seasons churches set aside in the presence of the Lord work because we need to shut the door. My lamb, we need to turn off Facebook for a day. Get away from Twitter for a day. To get alone with the Lord, God, shut the door. I've got a pastor friend that's an incredible counselor. He's got a great ministry of counseling. And it's he, real unusual. When folks come to see him, the first thing the man of God says to them, he asks them if they're every day in the Word of God. Most of the time they say no. Say, do you pray every day? Most of the time they say no, except when they're desperate and want something. And so the man of God says, my friend, the session is over. And he's not being cruel. He's got a plan he gives them. It's all printed out. A plan to be in the Word of God for 30 days. And he gives them that plan, and here's what he says. He says, spend 30 days doing this, then come back and see me. Brother, you know what he said? Most of them don't come back. Shut the door. You understand? we got to shut the door. So the Bible says, the man of God said, shut the door. Now, don't miss this. She was intimately obedient. And then she was instantly obedient. Boy, I need to preach this. For verse 6 says, it came to pass the vessels were full. She said to her son, bring me yet a vessel. The Bible said she did it instantly. Understand, she shut. when the man of God said, go, go shut the door in verse 4, verse 5 says she immediately went in and shut the door. There was no debate, no discussion, no confusion. She did exactly what the man of God told her to do. She shut the door. I, I remember when God called me to traveling evangelism, and I realize I'm sharing some personal things here. God called me to traveling evangelism, and, and I did I fought that thing, y'all, for about a year. You know where I was? I was in the third balcony, the third deck at the Roswell Street Baptist Church at a Bailey Smith Real Evangelism Conference in 1987 when God called me into traveling evangelism. Can I tell everybody I was a miserable pastor? Uh, I wasn't fleeing the pastor, and I loved being a pastor. I, I fought for a year before I let go. But I was up in that balcony, and I'd gone to that Real Evangelism Conference. Maybe why some of you came to this conference this weekend or this week. You know, I, I came because I was miserable. I'd hit the wall. I, there wasn't any gross sin or anything like that in my life. But I, I, preachers, as the old saying goes, I'd said everything I knew and a whole bunch I wasn't sure of. And I was just wiped out. I was washed out. I was whipped. And I got that thing. And some of my heroes were preaching there, Bill Stafford and Junior Hill and Adrian Rogers. And I got that thing across my desk. And I, I told my secretary, I'm going. And we booked the, the, the plane, I, plane fare. And I, I took my minister students with me. And there, there I sat, up there in that corner, up there in that top. But I'd prayed before I went to that conference, God, do something this week to change my life. Little did I know what was going to happen. And this story's the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. My last point will be brief, and then we'll go to lunch. Don't miss this. I'm sitting up in that balcony, and they took up an offering that night. And it was a bucket offering. Buckets, fried chicken bucket offering. 
Now, I'd already paid. I'd already paid for airfare, paid for hotel, paid for all that. But Spirit of God spoke to me. And preachers, y'all know what I'm talking about? God didn't speak to me here. It was right here. God said, I want you to trust me. said, I want everything in your wallet. Are you kidding me? I want everything in your wallet. Again, no credit cards and all that stuff. I opened my wallet. Ron, I had 48 bucks. 48 bucks. I had two 20s, a five, and three ones. That's all I had. But I'm telling you, it was that real to me. God said, I want you to trust me at this point of obedience. I want everything in your wallet. Now, folks, you understand how I'm wrestling? Because we're going out after service with a bunch of preachers and we haven't eaten yet. That's really important. And we had Friday to still eat. That's a big deal, son. Now, I'm telling y'all, that bucket got closer and closer. Pastor Kevin, the Spirit of God ate me alive. I pulled out that 48 bucks, threw it in that bucket, and then I watched that bucket go all the way down to the end of the aisle. I had the greatest urge to run that bucket down, son. That's all my money. And, and I was so full of pride. And don't you preachers look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I was so full of pride, son, that I didn't even tell my minister students I had no money to eat. We went out to eat, and I got some strawberry shortcake. Not knowing how I was going to pay for it. And all those preachers, there was five or six of them sitting there, friends of ours, we finished eating, and one of them gets up, truth, walks over and grabs my ticket and said, Rick, I'm going to tell you I was going to buy you dinner. I'm going to tell you that before we sat down. I watched that guy walk away. I thought, I could have had a steak. I mean, I could have a steak. Next day, had breakfast at the hotel, didn't want lunch. I'm not making this up. Went in for supper that night and somebody met me at a restaurant, a friend of mine. I'd had a revival in his church as a pastor. He said, Brother Rick, I want to buy you dinner. I went home, but did I tell you what God did? I didn't tell you what God did, did I? God called me into evangelism that night. Dr. Jerry Vines was preaching a message on soul winning. And I'd heard the sermon. Because I used to watch him every Sunday, man, in Jacksonville when I was a pastor. Preachers, I'd heard the sermon, but I'm telling you, the Spirit of God fell on me in the third deck of that balcony. And God said, I'm calling you into traveling evangelism. And I want to tell you, I went down that aisle. There was hundreds of preachers on their face that night at the altar. And I was one of them. And I said, God, are you kidding me? Are you serious about this? I went home and told my wife. And I thought she'd tell me I was out of my mind. She said, I know it. I know it. She said, I've been expecting it for months. My wife told me that. And I resigned. It took me. Listen, are you listening to my disobedience? For a full year I stayed. I did not let go. I tried to preach more revivals and do everything I could do. And preachers, I was just miserable. But God reminded me that it was that night when I did what God required me to do that God loosened all those floodgates and called me. And now 30 years later, I wouldn't trade it for nothing even though times often have been difficult. My God, my brother's already preached it, is faithful. Can I tell you, my God never fails. Matter of fact, I give you permission to talk in church. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say, God's got this. Go ahead and do it right now. God's got this. Everybody shout it with me. God's got this. Say it again. God's got this. Hallelujah. Obedience. You know what God demands? You better hear me. God demands instant obedience. Made this Ron will tell you, I got more whippings as a boy than all the rest of my family put together. I did. Made the mistake one time when I was a teenage boy when my daddy told me to do something of saying just a minute. <laughs> Anybody ever do that? Yeah. Dad said, I want you to do something. Just, just, just a minute. 
And can I tell you, I don't, we have no children here, I'm sure, no teenagers, but if we do, I want to tell you this. When you tell your parents just a minute, that is not procrastination, that's disobedience. And when your God tells you to do something and you say just a minute or I'll get around to it or tomorrow, can I tell you that's disobedience. God demands obedience. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know what the Bible says? Watch me. The Bible says I got to trust in his promises. Then the Bible says turn to his presence. And I'm going to flat tell you the reason some Christians some Christians don't have more miracles in their life. They go before God and say, God, my life's a mess. And God tells them to do something, but they don't do it. There are some believers, they don't submit to authority. They make poor choices. They seldom attend church. They never go to an altar. They're never in his word, never before him in prayer. I've already said it. I'll say it again. Spend more time on Facebook than in the word of God. And their life's a mess and God says, I demand you to do this. If there's one thing I've learned in reading the word of God, the principle of obedience is this, that little faith brings little blessings, great faith brings great blessings. All right, I'm finished. This is what God wanted me to preach. Maybe not for you, but for me. You don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know what's going on in your life. But, but I needed this. Because here's what I'm going to do. Trouble's knocking at the door. God says, trust in his promises. Trouble's knocking on the door. God says, turn to his presence. And, and then our brother's already preached this. That's why I fought with the Lord on that front row, Brother Kevin. Because then, number three, I'm going to go ahead and thank him for his provisions. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to trust in his promises. I'm going to turn to his presence, and I'm going to thank him for his provisions. And here we go. Everybody knows what happened. The Bible said in the last line of verse 6, there's not a vessel more and the, more and the oil stayed. That means ceased or stopped. Oil stopped. I want everybody to get a middle picture. This woman's filling up all those vessels and finally they're full and there's no more oil. Somebody said, yeah, preacher, they ran out of oil. Oh, no. There's plenty of oil. I'm going to say that again. There's plenty of oil. Woman didn't run out of oil. She ran out of pots. If she'd had a million pots, God would have filled a million vessels. This woman would have had more oil than Alaska, Texas, and Oklahoma combined. See, there is no shortage of oil. I'll say it again. There's plenty of oil. The only reason the oil stopped is because the pot stopped. Heard a preacher tell a great story. Two men went trout fishing. They're standing on the banks, tossing out. Pretty soon the buddy noticed that his other buddy started catching trout like he did, but he wasn't keeping the trout. He had a little ruler in his pocket. He'd take out the ruler and measure the trout. And if the trout was bigger than the ruler, he would throw the trout back. So consequently, he was throwing back all the big ones, keeping the little ones. It drove his buddy crazy. His buddy finally said, I can't stand it no more. I'm out of my mind. I've watched you throw back the big trout and keep the little trout. Could you explain why in the world you're doing that? And the guy who was throwing them back said, yeah, my skillet's only eight inches Rather than buying a bigger skillet, he was settling for smaller fish. I'm going to say it one more time. Rather than getting a bigger skillet, he was settling for smaller fish. Look at me, Pastor. I don't know where you are in your church. I don't know what kind of program you're in, building or otherwise, or where you are. But I'm going to say this to you. 
God will only give you what you're prepared to receive. Yes. 